Well, I, I'm hopeless at these things, haven't you noticed? I muck around with it all the time. <laughs> I don't know, I bend it and twist okay. it. Okay, that, that looks like it's going to work. Well, thanks guys, it's really nice to be here this morning. And uh, I've got a message I really would love to encourage you with. And some of that's been because of my own journey, but I really think it's really opportunity for you guys as well. Especially on Father's Day. You know, I want to say, uh, as men, we're under a lot of attack often, you know, and you only need to look at the statistics in this nation to see how so many men are emotional cripples. You know, only 10% of men can say that their fathers had any meaningful emotional reaction with them as they grew up. Only 10% had fathers that actually mentored them. And I know in my circle, I hang around with a lot of bike guys, and I feel very comfortable with that, but a lot of them have been damaged, they've been hurt, they've been... um, Uh, rejected by their fathers and they've turned to this tough image to hide behind it. They don't want to be hurt again. So we present, we either go to a gym and bulk up or we get black bikes with skulls on it or, you know, everything's black. And there's a reason behind that. And underneath, when you get to know them, they're damaged, they've been hurt. And so this is how I deal with it. So we've we've had a lot of attack, I believe, as men, with same-sex marriage and gender fluidity, and I mean, come on, guys, give it a break. You know, like, tomorrow I might wake up and feel like a woman, and, you know, I've got to start dressing, and goodness, you know, I mean, there is no absolutes left anymore. When a man can wake up the next day and think, I think I'll be a woman, and then get all this, you know, testosterone treatment or whatever, it's you're really something seriously out of whack. And I'm not suggesting that aren't some problems, but this is, we're really in a very unstable society at the moment with the way things are going, amen? So I want to encourage you, they say, where you see determines what you see. Where you stand determines what you see. In this culture, you don't see anything really clear, but I want to say the Word of God is very clear, and I really want to encourage you with that this morning. So I want to start with a sort of launch-off text from Hebrews, and Hebrews are talking about some of these heroes of the faith, and I'm going to talk about three of these guys. But let me just say in Hebrews 12, I'm going to talk about heroes of the faith, and that could be men and women. I'm just going to talk about men this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And uh, that would be my prayer for you, that this is going to be a mighty church. You've got a great couple. We really love Alan and Jackie. And it was a privilege to actually speak into their lives and to pray for them. And we all felt that they had a real gift. So it was a real pleasure when we ran a church. We'd get Alan down to preach. He always did a great job. And it was really good to say, come on, Alan, come on, Jackie, go on, do it. And it's wonderful to be here in this church and to see them doing it. And I believe this is going to be a great church, you know, that the Spirit of God is here, that you're not, this isn't an accident. That building up there, amazing. So uh, in a way, I'm speaking to... um, to the believers, you know, when I'm talking about faith here this morning, but I really want to encourage you. You know, we have a dream, and I believe as men, especially we need to stand up to be the men God's called us to be. I'm sure every woman here would say, I want to be married to a guy who knows who he is, who really knows where he stands in Jesus, who can love me as Christ loved the church, and he's one of these guys that will stand up against stuff. 
You know, when you see people getting interviewed on TV, it's always the women that speak. And God bless them, I'm not against it. But you say, where are the men? What do you believe? Don't you have any passion for anything? Where's your heart in this? And I think especially as Christian men, I've been in a lot of churches where the men would sit back and do nothing and it was the women that ran the place. And I'm not against women, guys, seriously, but we need to stand up too and say, I love the Lord and I'm not ashamed to stand up and to pray or to do whatever God's called me to do. I want to do that, amen? There was a biker once in a... They were trying to do an evangelism thing in this pub and um, they were singing these songs and talking and nothing was working. And anyway, a biker, they're the hardcore banditos and, and uh, you know, Hell's Angels and, and all the other guys. He said, uh, mate, what about praying for our diggers in Afghanistan? And he said, oh, I'll go with that. Anyway, they're in the pub and he said, um, hang on guys, we're just going to pray for a guy. And this biker stood up and he said, oi, shut up, we're going to pray for the diggers in Afghanistan. He, he calmed the whole place down. Anyway, this guy prayed, you know, really prayed a great prayer for our man, Lord, keep them safe, watch over them. And uh, anyway, later he said, I'm going to st- go back to this biker. And so we went and sat down and had a beer with him. He said, mate, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And he said, I want to know who I am. I'm going to speak about this morning, who are we? And, uh, and establish that very clearly, because I think that's a cry from the heart, from non-Christians and even some Christian men. You know, in the beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And you know, right in the beginning, when Satan attacked Adam and Eve, he bypassed Adam, notice that, straight to the woman. You know, he wanted to usurp his role and go to Eve. And then the other problem was, Adam was standing next to Eve and said, hang on, back up a minute. We're not listening to this. We know what God said to us. We are not going to violate that. So Adam went with Eve. And so straight away, there was a break in this role of authority. And there's been a whole book, I I love it, it's got the silence of Adam. And the whole book goes through so many guys in the Bible that shut up when they should have spoken and it would have made a big difference. When uh, Adam was created, God said, I want you to name the animals. I want you to take authority and name them. That's your role. You've got a role to play here. He's a function. The function is the head. So um, you realise we haven't been born to be mild amen it's a bit of a play the song born to be wild you know we get that a lot on the bot born to be wild anyway that's another story so christianity is not about being nice and neat and 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 a good guy john eldridge wrote this great book um about you know what it is to be a man and he said god is a warrior and there's got to be something of a warrior in who we are as well I want to encourage you with that. And so we have a redemptive purpose. You have a redemptive purpose on earth. You are not an accident. You're not a mistake. God's called us all for a role, a position. Um, Years ago, I watched Lord of the Rings and we've got the whole trilogy at home and The Hobbit and all of that. And there's one beautiful impact uh, picture in there, of this king. And they're getting attacked by the um, orcs. And these orcs, have you seen the movie, they're really hideous demonic figures and they look seriously threatening and they were, all these orcs were starting to develop and take over this country and he was the king and he had been possessed by a spirit and he was just sitting there with dull eyes like this and all hell was going to break loose all around the place and he was there possessed by the spirit. And Gandalf, the big tall guy with the beard, really good guy, with, he had a staff and the staff had sort of this power 
and he wanted to bring the staff into this place where the king was. I said, you can't bring that staff. And he said, you're not going to deprive an old man of his stick, are you? And he sort of gave him a wink. And Gandalf walks in, stands in front of this king, you know, who is possessed like this. And he said, in the name of whatever, he said, get out from him. And you see this king go like this. And then the spirit come out of him. And there's this battle, you know, that goes on. And eventually the spirit leaves the king and he starts changing. He's, he looks younger. He can start thinking again. And to cut a long story short, he is able then to get into the fight again. And I want to suggest that is a problem we as men can have. We get influenced by a culture. We get influenced by the devil. And I've had that in my life. And we become rendered powerless. It's a very powerful part in that movie. And what, one of the comments is a man only knows his strength when he's got a sword in his hand. So I want to look at three biblical examples. And the first one is um, uh, Caleb. And we read, I'm not going to read all the story, man. We'd be here for hours. But I just want to read some um, short passages that give you a bit of an indication of where I want to go with this. And um, Caleb was one of these amazingly gutsy guys that really understood a lot about the Lord. And I just want to read from uh, Joshua here. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb, the son of... Zephaniah the Zittite said to him, um, whatever the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me, he said, I was 40 years old when Moses was a servant of the Lord and sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites went up with me and made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, fought, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Anyway, there's a lot more I can read, but I just want you to get a grip. I followed the, the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, just get the picture here. All these, you know, probably about two million people that left Egypt walking through the desert. And uh, they just come out of a place where they'd been slaves and, and Pharaoh and his army was coming after them and, and uh, they were genuinely fearful. There was Moses with that staff and uh, all of a sudden we know what happened. The Egyptians got close and the cloud covered them over so they couldn't see the Israelites and then Moses held the staff over the sea and the sea backed up and they walked through the sea and then the Pharaoh and his army chased them. You know the story and all the water came over. and dr- Amazing stuff happened, right? Caleb saw that and by faith he knew that his God could do anything or would do whatever he needed to do. He saw the fire uh, by night and the cloud by day. They knew that God was with them and they walked in that powerful way. And now they get to the promised land and 12 men are sent out to have a look at the promised land, to check it out. Forty days later, 12 returned to the two million people waiting there, saying, we need to find out how good is this land. And the spies report, say, yeah, it's a great land, full of milk and honey. It's amazing. They brought back this big bunch of grapes and all this fruit. They said, man, this is awesome. Look at the wine we could... No, they didn't say that. Um, anyway, they got back and then the 10 of them reported and said, man, this is, it's a beautiful land, but this is scary. We can't do this. They're overwhelming us. We're going to be like grasshoppers. God, this could, this could be the end of us. We can't do this. They were thinking as slaves, you see. They were thinking still with the Egyptian mindset. You know, we're just underneath the Egyptians. They forgot all about the miracles God had done and they'd been in Egypt for so long they started to think they were the underneath people. You know, they couldn't do it. They were too afraid. And the people grumbled and they said, if only we'd stayed in Egypt, if only we'd died in the desert. Yeah, good call, guys. Great. Oh, yeah, well, why couldn't we have just died in the desert? <laughs> awesome. They're the sort of leaders we need, right? <laughs> 
But two men spoke out, Joshua and Caleb, and they saw something completely different. God is good. This is our land. He will go with us. God is an amazing God. We want to declare that our God will take us through and he will deliver us from our enemies and we will succeed. We've got a covering with our God. They don't. You see, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And you know, when you look at faith in the Hebrew language, you know what it really says? Faith. I thought you might like to know that. But the people refused to hear Caleb and they lost their, they lost their inheritance. You know, He was going to be an amazing country. God's going to bless them. And in Deuteronomy he said, I'm going to give you crops and children and wine and, and, and it's going to be awesome. But they didn't have faith to cross over, you know, to go into that land and to believe God and his promises by faith. And so their whole inheritance was taken from them, promised by God, ironclad guarantee. But guys, you need to get over there. You need to fight for this and you need to trust me. And that's a lesson we can all have, like you guys are doing here. We're looking at that building and we're believing that that's going to be ours. And by faith, we're going to inherit that. Not only are we going to get that building, we are going to grow an amazing church here. And there are so many people around here that need Jesus, amen? And they need to be brought right here and hear about Jesus and commit their life to him. So that people be at the front with tears in their eyes saying, I never knew this about Jesus. I never knew my life could be so different. You see, we can, you, this church can inherit that by faith, just as the Israelites inherited the promised land. And you know something, 45 years later, Caleb's 85, and you've got to love this. And we read, he goes on to fight, and he says, give me the, uh, the high country, Hebron. And you know who lived in the Hebron? The, the, um, the, the Nephilim. They're the big tall guys. I want to go with the big, big guys, eh? he's 85. Oh, give me the high country. And he says, okay, you guys go for Hebron. You know? And he goes in there and he cleans them out. And he's walked the desert for 40 years with a bunch of non-believers. Now he comes in with this new generation. He's still there, still fighting up, fighting up the front. And he says, I want to be at the front line. Be like Alfie Langer saying, I still want to play state of origin, you know. And you've got to love that faith, you know. He's a man that so loved the Lord. He said, I don't care. It might be scary. And all my grandkids are saying, Grandpa, don't do it. But he has such a faith. He said, you watch. You watch. Don't try and stop me. A man doesn't know his strength until he takes hold of the sword. And that's the word of God. That's what the Bible says. Check it out. So Gideon was a man like Caleb. Gideon... Was it, this is another guy. And I might just, you know the story of Gideon? Yeah? We see an Israelite nation. What the context was, they're under attack by the Midianites. And um, they were in the promised land. This is when Israel had got there and they'd established the place. And Midianites came and thought they would uh, create a, a lot of trouble. And really what was happening is this cosmic battle of Satan trying to destroy God's people. And through all the Old Testament, there was always battles against Israel, which was satanic, uh, the devil's strategy to crush the seed of the serpent. Because he knew ultimately the seed that was spoken against him in Genesis 3 would be his undoing. And if he could crush the seed, God's seed, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their family, then he could maybe remove that, that curse that he had come under himself because of his unbelief. So what happened here, this nation was under threat and the Midianites would come in whenever they liked and attack people, they killed people, they took all their crops. You know, for them it was just easy pickings and the people of Israel were living in fear. 
And then we read, Gideon was in the winepress, thrashing wheat. And he did this to hide because they were all so afraid. They lived in fear. And then we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's thinking, mighty warrior? When's this mighty warrior getting here? You know, I don't feel like a mighty warrior. I'm hiding in a wine press. But he was scared, you see. The Midianites, we read, had killed his brothers along other people and they were fearful. But God turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save the Israelites out of Midianites' hand. And I will be with you and we will strike the Midianites together. You think, wow, that's pretty awesome. God is saying, you know my history. You know what I'm capable of. Come on, man. Man up. I'm the guy that does miracles, remember? And God chooses this small guy from the smallest tribe of Israel. Don't you love how often God does that? With no influence. So Gideon was still a bit unsure. He really asked for a few signs, you know, because he wasn't such an amazing man of faith at first. And that should encourage us because we're not always great men and women of faith at first either. And uh, so God understands that. And it's like you take a few steps and then you can take some bigger steps later on. So God spoke to him after he'd done a bit of testing and he said, I want you to go to town and tear down some idols. One was an idol of Baal, which was a storm god, and a Shearer pole representing the goddess of the sea. And a lot of these idols they had were very immoral. There was a lot of prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. It was absolutely, totally satanic. Everything that God stood for, these idols were the opposite and they represented the opposite. So he's still a bit nervous and he puts a silencer on his chainsaw and he goes into town and he cuts down those totem poles to these gods. And you know the amazing thing in the morning was everybody knew that Gideon had done it. Now I don't know how that happens but he must have had something about him. He held the sword when he did that. So the next town, the next day the the guys from town came and said we're going to kill this guy. And you know what's really great when you read the story? You read Gideon's father wakes up from the spell like the king and he said are you men of the town going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try and save Baal? Seriously? And then the father says, whoever fights for Baal will be put to death by morning. And you think, wow, his father suddenly wakes up from this slumber he was in and makes this incredibly powerful statement. And he says, you dare fight for Baal and you'll be put to death. If Baal is Baal, he can defend himself, he said. And so can Muhammad and Buddha. And so what happens? Gideon acts in faith. His father wakes up and he speaks the truth. You see, the power of Baal was broken by faith. God could have done any miracle he wanted, but he used Gideon, this young boy that didn't have any pretensions about himself at all. One person in one church who doesn't think they can do much, but God calls them and they step out in faith and some amazing things happen. Things start getting shaken up in the spiritual. Don't ever think you're a nobody. God shows by the word of God that he loves using nobodies or people that are messed up. So the courage, it takes courage and fight to make a stand. But that's what God's called you and I to. Thank you for that good point, Keith. So Israel belonged to God. And God's purposes were not going to get disrupted by satanic attacks that leaves his people helpless. Images and idols had no place among God's people. And we know from the Bible, he is within us, is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? 
So it's a matter of saying that. When you say it enough, when you repeat it enough, something happens to you. And I want to say, you know, I really like the way you do the service here. I went to an American church once and we were on a tour to go to a conference in San Jose. Anyway, um, it was a black African church and uh, it was just amazing. I love their passion. And anyway, it started off the, the pastor's father went up and he said oh lord we pray forgive us our sin like this and everyone went oh yeah that was so cool anyway then the son got up to preach and he stood up and it was really you know pretty quiet and I thought man I really want to hear some passion here you know and then he got up and talked about the miracle that Jesus did and he was fired up and people said hallelujah amen come on you know and everyone was in it and I got to tell you look I was put in a fairly conservative church but man, that resonated with me. And I remembered that message for months. And I said, I've been to church for years, but why did I, I just stay stuck in here? And I went to my own church and I, I didn't have one note. I just preached the whole thing. You know, I thought, man, there's something powerful about that. Yeah, they entered in, you know. And I think um, it's good when we own, take ownership, you know, when Al's preaching, Weber's preaching, that we actually enter in because it makes it real and alive for us. And I tell you, when someone comes into your church and you're reacting like that, they say, man, what they say, you set yourself on fire and people watch you burn. People love that, you know, they do. It's not just a rotary club or an apex club. This is something about the power of God. Paul said, not with wise or persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power, right? So we've got a very culture, very cult, a culture. I don't know where I'm going with this, but we've got a culture that's very staid and predictable, but I reckon we need to be enthusiastic. Amen? Can I get an Amen. Yeah, come on, it's good. It encourages the pastor and every visitor in here says, man, you guys have got something in here, something about it. I don't know what it is, but it's good. So we need to push back the devil by being with passionate. So what happened was Gideon raised up an army. These were all guys that were hiding. Yeah, they were fearful. 32,000 men said, hey, we're going to do this. One man, Gideon, right? One young man, could have been anyone in this church, said, we're going to start fighting these, these Midianites. And they were thousands well armed. And 32,000 men suddenly stand up because he got a revelation from God and he stood up and said, we can do this. 32,000 men. He said, that in itself was a miracle. They, they wouldn't have had a chance against the Amalekites. There were probably hundreds of thousands of these guys, well armed, spears, you know, chariots, all this sort of stuff. Anyway, God says, far too many men. You know the story. They'd lick the water or they'd bring it to the mountain. He says, we can do this with 3,000. 300 men, actually. 300 men. <laughs> 300 men. And so they go to about 300 men and they get up the mountain and they spread along the top and they've got these torches in. in um, uh, what do you call those big pots so no one could see the flame and they got a sword and they surround all these hundred dark cloud at night and they're standing at the top of the mountain and then one guy says a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon and they smash these pots and these flames and everyone gets they panic and we know that God put panic already in their hearts and they get out their swords and they end up fighting each other and they have an amazing victory they end up killing each other and God destroyed them and one man, and God does it over and over and over and over again. One person changes the foundation, the spiritual foundation of that culture and that nation. And then the last guy, briefly I'm going to talk about, was David. And we all know the story of David. He was a young guy, went out into the fields of Jerusalem, got out his guitar, sang these beautiful songs to the Lord. And um, I don't know if he played like this, but... He, you know, he did it with passion and he wrote all those words down. But see, he was a bloke. 
that was prepared to be intimate with Jesus, intimate with God. I love you, Jesus. You know, seriously, it is such a key that we learn to be intimate. We've got to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. We can actually say to people and say to each other, I love Jesus. Man, he's awesome. I'm so thankful for what he's done in my life. It's not a theological equation, but a personal dynamic relationship. And David was very good at that. So Israel, again, promised people and their nation that God had put them in were attacked by the Philistines by this nine-foot giant called uh, Goliath. And he was a bit like um, Arnie Schwarzenegger, but a lot bigger, nine foot tall. I did it in church once, actually. I put a, a white sheet around me, stood on a chair, but I looked like a pretzel. Because <laughs> when you're nine foot tall, you really need to be out here as well. So it didn't quite have the effect, but at least you got the height. You know, Nine foot is really big. Anyway, so we challenged him to UFC fight, you know, but this is going to be UFC to the death. And, uh, of course, all Israel was, again, fearful. They were afraid. They, where you stand determines what you see. And if you're looking at it as a human being, you're going to say, I can't do this. This guy's scary. He's going to kill me. I'm not going to do it. But David, like Caleb and Gideon, saw something else. David learned that if I'm faithful in the small things, like I killed a lion, killed a bear, you know, I was able to do that, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. I believe God can do this. And because he developed that intimacy through his praying and singing and when he's out in the field, he didn't waste that opportunity. He really got close to the Lord and he learned to trust him. Anyway, they're all standing there and David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And people say, whoa, where's that coming from? You know, I mean, nobody was prepared to say anything like that before. And then his brothers say, shh, you don't need to say anything here, David. And you see the silence of Adam again, you know, be quiet. Don't speak out. But David had such sure confidence that he walked out with a sling. And they reckon the sling they had was probably down to the ground and up here. And they'd put rocks about that big in it and they'd wind it up like this. And by the time it got full, full uh, swing and really got some speed up, it, came, it almost comes out like the velocity of a rifle. And they said, if you really can do it well, it's a powerful tool, the ones they use there. Anyway, so you only one, one stone... And he got Goliath, he killed him, obviously. Nothing like that had ever entered Goliath's head before. And um, he killed him. And then all of a sudden, the people of Israel got confidence. Again, one, David, one guy called David had the guts to go up and attack this person. And all of a sudden, the army, they become not girly men, but they become the men. And they chase the Philistines and they kill them and have a great victory. That's what faith can do. It's just awesome. And David went on to become a great warrior and a king of Israel. And you know something? You know what God said to David? You know it says, come close to me and I'll come close to you? God says, David's a man after my own heart. Isn't that beautiful? Just imagine God saying, you're a woman, you're a man after my own heart. You think, wow, that's such a beautiful thing. And David wasn't a perfect guy, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But out of David's family came Jesus. And so there's a pattern here as I wrap this up. Caleb said, come on, God will go with us and they entered the promised land. Gideon acted by faith and broke the power of Baal and defeated the Midianite army's grip on their nation. David said, don't lose a heart on account of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. And he gave Israel the courage to fight and win. These three men saw something that a lot of other people couldn't see because of fear and compromise. You know, fear and compromise is spiritual kryptonite. And it's damaged a lot of our men and, I believe, women as well. 
and it comes out of rejection. A lot of us have grown up with rejection and rejection can cripple who you are. You look at a really secure young man growing up and I'll show you two parents who have loved that young boy and said, you're a champion. You know, I'm behind you. I'm going to support you. Whenever you do something, I'm behind you all the way. You build confidence. And it's true, isn't it? I've noticed that. A lot of these biker guys are saying before have grown up without that assurance and love that their father should have given to them. So none of these were perfect. They made mistakes. Gideon kept a golden image, which was forbidden. David committed murder and adultery. Did God hold their sins against them? Does he hold our sins against us? Did it hold you back from the things of God? Well, as I said before, God says, come close to me and I'll come close to you. And we know that Jesus said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And um, you know what David said? I just want to read that. It's such a beautiful thing. When David had sinned and he was away from God, his cry from the heart was, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, that's such a cry from the heart. God, please don't leave me. I've messed up, but please don't leave me. And the last brief point I want to make is that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of Caleb, Gideon and David. And when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, when we surrender to Christ, we find ourselves. He died to set you and I free from our sin. Friend, I've been a sinner. I've been like that king. I've been weak and pathetic. But by God's grace, Jesus says, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness and be free. Ask God whether it's self-centeredness, whether it's apathy, insecurity, whether it's pornography, whatever is holding us from God, you know, we need to lay it down and say, God, I want to be one of those men or women of faith. And this, this, whatever it is in my life, is keeping me from the full purposes of God being realised. I want to be able to look at the last days of my life and look back over everything I've done and say, I've messed up and done stuff, but God has used me. Even though I've failed, He has used me. I've left a legacy here on this earth for Jesus Christ because I've been called to be His ambassador. And I want to look Jesus in the face and say, Lord, I have failed but I've loved you and I've prayed for you to come into my life and for you to use me. And I'm so grateful you've done that. I haven't held on to this stuff that's dragged me away from the purposes you have given to me in this life. You have a purpose in this life. You know, everything has been prepared for you in advance. We read that in Ephesians. And this church needs men and women of faith. And Jesus wants you to stand up and to say, um, I'm ready, Lord. I am ready. I want to crucify my old nature. I want to follow you. I want to be born again. I want to be a man and a woman of faith and to do all that you've called me to do. It's all about here and now, you see. When we think that we're weak, we're unworthy, that we've been defined by sin in our past, that we're damaged goods, we can't be that strong man. And you know what they say? Somebody says something about you that's not very good. Oh, they're not very good at that it'll probably go around your brain a couple of hundred times subconsciously. keeps reinforcing. I don't know how that works. I've been through that. I've been through years of insecurity. It's horrible and it's ugly. But we need to stop that lie because it's a lie from the pit of hell. And you know something? God can't use us when we're feeling inferior and weak and inadequate. 
We can do all things. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Amen? Good. You know, the disciples, uh, two illustrations and then I'm done. The disciples were weak and pathetic. Peter totally messed up in front of Jesus. I don't know this man three times. And, you know, the beautiful thing is Jesus said, feed my sheep, Peter. First he said, do you love me? And I know I've messed up. And I used to get pretty emotional and choked when I used to read that. It's such a beautiful story. Peter, do you love me? And look, Jesus knew that Peter loved him. He was just weak. And then he doesn't say, I'm going to put you in probation for six months or 12 months or two years. He said, get out there and feed my sheep. You've failed, you've messed up, but feed my sheep. You're here sitting here this morning and saying, but I failed. If you only knew, Keith, what I've been through, feed my sheep. Forgiveness like that when we trust the Lord. And you know what happened to those disciples? Twelve men changed the world. You read it, 3,000, 5,000 people were saved because these men took it on board. They had the faith to step out and their community was transformed. They were passionate. Isn't that the truth? And my final illustration is this. There's a guy that had a fish tank. We've got a fish tank at home. And um, it's, you, you put a heater in there because they're tropical fish and if you don't, in the cold, they'll die. Anyway, this guy um, had this tropical fish tank and he put the temperature up too high. Anyway, it was all looking good during the day and during the night the temperature was getting hotter and hotter and the fish were sort of going, you know, like if they could speak, they'd say, turn the temperature down, we're dying, you're killing us, you're killing us. And I say there's men like that too, saying, help me. I don't know how to get out of this. It's like that's fish in the tank. Help me. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I am. Help me. And I say this morning that the Lord wants to take you and use you. And he wants you to be strong men and women. And by faith that we can look from today or whenever this church started, we can say, man, we're making a difference in this community. We feel the Spirit of God is working through us and we are so amazed that people as messed up as Keith Pelican and other people are being used by the Spirit of God to bring transformation to this area. So I would like every man here to stand up and come to the front and their wives or friends can stand behind. I want to pray for all the men. Is that all right? Come guys, come and stand up the front in a line here. And the boys too. Future men. Future fathers, I should say. And if um, you've got a partner or family member, you want to put a hand on the shoulder, stand behind them and put your hand on the shoulder. Or put your hand on each other's shoulders if there's nobody there. Yeah, that's it. Where's Alan? I might pray first and I might get you to pray as well. Is that right? So Lord God, we just um, really want to uphold these men before you this morning and the women too that are supporting their men. And Lord Jesus, we pray that by faith you would so encourage them. Lord, that they wouldn't be defined by the past but they would see themselves this morning as men ready to do a task, men qualified to be heroes of the faith in this generation, in this age, and for this church and for this area. Lord, you've you've given us a job. You've asked them to be ambassadors, to be salt and light, to spread the good news of Jesus to this community. And I pray, Lord, against anything that would come against them. 
I pray, Lord, you would strengthen them in their very spirit and that they would, they would have such courage and such confidence as we read this morning that they would say, I trust the Lord and that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me and I reject everything that comes against me. I reject every thought and I take it captive and I say, no longer will you hold me back from the calling that the Lord God has given to me and I know I am worthy before God. I'm worthy because of the blood of Jesus. And I want to commit my life afresh against this morning, afresh again to serving the kingdom, to seeing this church built, to being a support to Ellen and Jackie. Because I believe that God's called me here for a reason and for a purpose. Ellen, do you want to... Let me just pray for you. Now, Lord, I just thank you for Ellen too, Lord. I thank you for his heart, for his giftedness, and for Jackie, for them both. And I thank you for them, Lord, and for their heart and their vision. And I pray you would anoint them with your Holy Spirit. And I pray they would be just totally amazed at what you do in their life and ministry in the years to come. Lord, that you'd make them a mighty blessing, not only to this church, but to this area, to this community.